Good morning, Impact City. Good morning. It's so good to see you. I'm glad you made it to the first Sunday of the month. I'm going to invite you to take your seat for just a few moments. Man, I, I spoke to a few of you before service, and, and I can relate. It, it has been a busy week. I was driving today, and it felt like it had been forever when in, act, in actuality it's only been one week. Um, but, man, life, life has been busy. I know it has been for you. There's all sorts of responsibilities and tasks that you have to see through. And I can tell you it's just so awesome to come together today and just to be able to worship alongside other believers and just to be able to hear his word. I believe God has a word for us today. Are you ready for it? Man, I hope you are. So today I'm going to start a two-part series that is going to end on Wednesday. Every first Wednesday we come together and we have service here. One Wednesday out of the month. So I'm going to start part one today. And part two will be on Wednesday. So if you want to know how the story ends, you see what I did there? If you want to know how the story ends, you got to come on Wednesday. All right. Can't wait to see you there. Let's pray one more time. Father, let your word find us where we're at. Let your word find us where we're at. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We can all get lost in a wilderness of tangled emotions. So I'm going to address an issue that I have not addressed. Um, but I feel that this is a word for us right now. We can get lost in so many emotions that we feel on the inside. And, and we, we begin to ask ourselves, what's going on? Why, why am I feeling like this? And, and you almost feel like you can't share with anyone because They'll be critical or they'll judge you for feeling the way that you're feeling, but it is something real and something that we all face. You know, when you just stop and you're just, you have so much to be thankful for, but yet there's some, there feels to be something off. Amen. You feel like there's just so much progress being made, but, and you're like, I should feel a lot happier than what I feel. I should feel a lot better than what I feel, but... It's just a part of life and an emotion that we feel. And maybe something in your life has occurred to get you to that point. But can I also stop and tell you that sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes there is trauma and sometimes there is tragedy that we pass through that gets us to that point. But sometimes it's nothing that we can just seem to, and it just seems that we're disappearing in the darkness. And, and sometimes it just feels like a deep depression comes over us, and we wonder, and we ask ourselves the question, because sometimes we're not confident enough to ask somebody else, but you ask yourself rhetorically, you're like, why isn't my faith strong enough to handle what I'm facing? Why isn't my faith strong enough to handle what I am going through? Can I tell you that you're not alone? Can I tell you that you're not alone? You may find yourself in the circumstance today, or you may take this message and put it in the refrigerator for a day down the road, but can I tell you that you're not alone, that even in the darkness, even in your, even in your moment right now where, where you feel so desolate, where you feel so alone, where you feel so confused maybe, where you feel so frustrated, can I tell you that God still meets us there? 
Can I tell you that God still sees you there? There is nowhere that he will not go. David said this in Psalms 139, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. Did you hear that? The darkness, he says, and the light become night around me. Even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is a light to you. Can I preach to somebody here today that you have been in a dark moment, that God sees you there? Hallelujah. Can I tell you that in your loneliness... And in your worry and in your sleepless nights, can I tell you that God sees you there? And I believe today that God wants to speak to the circumstances and the individual dealings of our lives today. Dealing with the backdrop of a pandemic has left us facing challenges that have always been faced, but now we're facing on a different level. These have always been there, but now they have been magnified. They're issues that we constantly encounter, but were magnified as a result of 2020. Some statistics, the mental health, hot, mental health hotline increased by 900%. The CDC states that one in every 20 under the age of 30 contemplated suicide. For the rest of us, one in every 10. Divorce filings went up 20%. Antidepressants were up 300%. And it has become a prevalent issue. And as the church, we have to confront this. We have to be aware of it. And we have to understand that it is something real that is going on on the inside that has always been going on, but now it seems to be more prevalent. And I believe that it is something that God can work in our lives. I believe that it is not an area where we will just leave to specialists because I do believe in seeking help when we need help. But I also believe that God can, can do an incredible work in our lives. Amen. I, I do believe that God can speak to us. So this week, what I want to talk to you today about right now is how we get in this place that I'm going to identify as a cave. And, and you'll see through scripture uh, the connection. But how do we get there? And on Wednesday, I'm going to talk to you about how we get out of there, how we get out of there. So let's go ahead and, and jump in this, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of a prophet named Elijah, a great prophet. So we're going to address today the battle that takes place in the mind. We're going to address that battle, and we're going to be able to speak about it in Jesus' name. So, but before we jump in, I want to do, I do want to point out some important observations that I, I believe that it's important for all of us to be cognizant or aware of. There's very real biological issues. There's very real biological issues that can cause depression, that can cause what the Bible identifies as a spirit of heaviness. But I also want to say that depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It is a signal. It's trying to tell us something. 
And I know that there's been some stigma around this word because many of us grew up in church uh, needing to have to go to church, having it all together. And it was okay as long as everything was good on the outside. It didn't matter what was going on on the inside. But on the inside, all of us were struggling. All of us were struggling. And there's this real stigma with uh, depression. And I want to put it this way. I wear contact lenses. Some days I wear glasses. It just depends what the weather's doing on that particular day. I wear contact lenses. I'm not lacking faith because I wear glasses. I'm not lacking faith because I wear contact lenses. My mind, should I say it this way, part of my body, what, what it means is part of my body is not working at its maximum efficiency, at the top efficiency, at peak efficiency. And I just need a little bit of help to be able to get to a point where I can see clearly. Can I tell you that my mind is a part of my body? Your mind is a part of your body, and it can be in the same condition. And just like you don't think less of me because I wear contact lenses, we should not think less of anyone who struggles in their mind. Amen. We should not. It is a real issue, and we all need some help in this area. We all need some help. So what we have to know also about this is that my illness is not my identity. My illness is not my identity. You need to tell yourself this. What I'm feeling is not who I am. What I'm feeling is not who I am. It's just something that I'm dealing with. It's just something that I'm going through. It's just something like David compared it this way. He, David put it this way. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He said, I am going through this moment, but it's not where I live. I'm going through this, but this is not my identity. I'm going through this, but this is not how I'm going to be known. I'm just going through this, but just watch how the story ends. I serve a God who's able. I serve a God who is almighty. I serve a God who is powerful. My illness is not my identity. It's just what I'm going through right now. It's just what I'm going through. It's just what you're going through. So let's look. What does the Bible say? So I want to give you the end in mind. So look at, we're going to look at the big picture. What does the Bible say to us? The Bible lets us know that God wants us free. Amen? The Bible lets us know that God wants us free. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with things. It doesn't mean that things don't come our way. No, it just means that God wants us free. Because can I tell you that even the best struggle... Can I tell you, even the best struggle, I truly believe that you can know God, that you can find freedom, that you can discover your purpose, and that you can make a difference. I truly believe, wherever you find yourself today, I believe that. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what God wants for you. And I know that there's like, you're like, yeah, that's, that's ideal, but this is where I'm at right now. Well, we're going to talk about what we do to bridge that gap and what we do to, to close that gap. And what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't put together this story about these men and women that have it all together. It's not a book of perfection. No, it, it doesn't just show us the high moments of people's lives. But, but I love that when you look at the Bible and you see the people who write the Bible, they're people that don't have it all together. God, God uses adulterers and God uses murderers. And can I say that God even uses depressed people 
And one of those is a prophet named Jeremiah who not only wrote a book called Jeremiah, but he wrote a book called Lamentations. And he does just that. He laments. And he just goes on and on. And look what he says in Lamentations 3, 17 through 20. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I I don't know what's going on in my family. I don't know what's going on in my career. I don't know what's going on in my mind. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor is gone. Look what he's telling himself. And gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I, I well remember then, and my soul is downcast within me. I guess so, Jeremiah, if that's what you're talking about, if that's why you're feeling, if you're just sitting and thinking about it. And can I tell you that, that it happens to prophets. It can happen to us. It can happen to us at any given time in life. Let's look at what the New Testament says. The Apostle Paul says this. I don't want you to think that, that just because he, he I'm, I can imagine that he said just because I'm writing the New Testament that I have it all together. No, he sees uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know what I'm going through. He says, brothers and sisters, and the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. That means it was just too much. It was just too much so that we despaired of life itself. He's saying a question that I think, if we're honest, many of us have asked, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't think I can take this. It's too much. It's too much. The great prophet Elijah, probably one of the greatest prophets of all time that you'll read of, he had the honor of being at the transfiguration of Jesus. You'll read about it in the Gospels. Jesus takes his disciples, and, and, and the Bible lets us know that Moses and Elijah appeared on a mountainside in a heavenly form. So it lets us know how Elijah's story ends. He he was elevated to heaven, but yet Elijah would struggle with depression. Elijah would struggle in his mind. And if you'll notice, it it, it happened at, at specific times. It was usually after a great victory, after something incredible had happened in his life, he would go into this dark moment. There is a time where these prophets uh, come against him, the prophets of Asher and Baal, and he defeats these prophets. Uh, He takes them on and he defeats them, but it is right after that that he finds himself in a vulnerable state. And after experiencing the spiritual high, he now finds himself in, in an incredible low. And when you would think that he would be celebrating, and when you think that he would be happy about what took place in his life, it's quite the opposite. First Kings chapter 19 tells us this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to say this. Notice it wasn't an actual com- confrontation. It was just a messenger. It was just a text message. It was just what somebody wrote on their Facebook wall. It was just a threat. And he said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, 
if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah, look, all this was was just a message to him. And the Bible tells us that Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Just killed 150 prophets on his, by himself. And now he's running for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my ancestors. Here we clearly see there's, I'm going to go over six things that can lead us into a cave. Why a cave? Because a cave can be relatable to what heaviness feels like, to what depression feels like. Because I know there's a way out. I just don't know where it is. It's dark, it's lonely, it's frustrating. You can't really focus on your surroundings, it's disorienting. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at some things that Elijah did in his life that ultimately led him to this place. Because I wanna go back and say that I fully accept and recognize that there are some of us in this place today that maybe we have biological issues and some of us need to be on antidepressants because that's just the way we're wired and we need that to be able to, to function. Some of us take different types of medication just to get a thyroid to function the way it is. An antidepressant is to get its, the mind to, to get to where it is. And you're not any less. I want to tell you, you're not any less than someone who does not take that medication. But I want to address some specific circumstances that happen in our lives. There are some factors that we have control over. And that's what I want to talk about today, the factors that we have control over that can take us into this dark place. Because I'll say it once, I'll say it again. There are so, some things, the Bible lets us know that the rain falls on the just and the unjust in like manner. Sometimes things just happen. But there are also some choices that I can bring upon myself. If I keep eating sugar late at night, I'm going to be diabetic a lot sooner than what I want to be. There's some things that I can cause on myself. There's some things that you can cause on yourself. Talking about a friend here, okay? So how do we end up in this cave? How do we end up in this game? The first thing is life imbalances. I fully recognize that there are chemical imbalances. That you can't help. But there's also life imbalances, and those you can help. So look at your life for just a few moments. Only you know your story. Life imbalances, habits that we have. Can they be causing some of the issues that we're experiencing in our lives? Truly, let's be real here. Can they be causing the way we live? How are we living? Can it be, can it be that we created a pace in our lives 
that we can no longer keep up with. Do you remember when you, do you, remember when you found out you were no longer invincible? You get up and your knee hurts like if, some, like if somebody just hit it, but you, you just got up. I'll never forget. When I moved here, I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, way down south, where the grass is green. And there's trees all over the place. But I came here, and I'll never forget, the first time I saw snow, I'm going to, I'm going to work, and it's like 13 degrees. They cancel school over there when it hits 31 degrees. So, but here I go, because I think I'm, I'm 26, probably, and I'm, nothing can harm me. And I'm, I'm walking through ice, I'm walking through snow, and I'm just going, I'm not stopping, and I'm not being hesitant. And all of a sudden, I walk in. I don't know why I'm telling on myself, because I walk in, I go through all this snow, I walk into the building, there's nobody around. The first step that I take on the concrete, I fall, and I fall straight on my back. I get up quickly, because I don't want anybody to see me. I'm glad there were no cameras there, but it was to no good because I just told all of you. Um, but that, that was a moment. That was a moment that I had just, I just went through life thinking, you know what, I don't need to be cautious. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But after that fall, I promise you, I respect the ice. I respect the snow and a lot different. But can it be that we created a pace in life that we can no longer keep up with? I'm not, I'm not as good as I once was. And we think we can do this, and we can keep doing this, and I can still keep on uh, with all my commitments. I can still keep going, and I can still keep working like if I was 25, but my body can't handle it anymore. My preaching to anybody today, it starts catching up to us. Could it be? Could it be? Stephen Alardi said this, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. We might be able to fit in some of those. I think a lot of us have some of this in our lives. But look what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It's about creating that balance. Better one handful, because we tend to think more is better. Two donuts is better than one. Two dollars is better than one. So we tend to, to think that because I have more, it's better. But better is one handful with tranquility. You can't put a price tag on peace. You can't put a price tag on rest. Stop wearing yourself out. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Just because I can afford it doesn't mean that I should buy it. Thought I was going to get a better response from all the husbands in the room with that one. It happened to Elijah. And it could happen to us as well. Life imbalances. 
Second thing, are you all with me this morning? Comparing ourselves with others. What does he say? I am no better than my ancestors. Do you notice that? Why, why does he even throw that in there? I don't know. Why, why are we comparing ourselves constantly? I know we have social media and I know we keep up with people in this life, but can I just say that we don't need to know what everyone else is doing all the time. We don't need to go out and buy what our friend that we haven't seen in 10 years went to, to go buy just because we saw it on their pay. It, it, Theodore Roosevelt said this, that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. The Bible tells us that David and Saul, that, that, that when they came back and the, the women started singing, they came back from the battle, that the women started singing, that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. And, the, and we understand that through that moment that, that there was a spirit of jealousy that came over Saul and it just ultimately destroyed him, that before he even committed suicide, he had committed spiritual suicide first because he started comparing himself. Can I tell you that there's always going to be somebody better? It's okay. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to do the best that I can do with excellence, and I'm going to let God do the rest. I'm not going to worry. Hallelujah. I'm not going to worry about comparing myself. And some of us in this place are just, our, our joy is being stolen because we're constantly comparing ourselves and it is creating a dark moment in our lives. Galatians 6, 4 and 5 says this, each one should test their own actions. I shouldn't test yours, you shouldn't test mine, test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves and this is a healthy pride alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Can I tell you there's nobody like you. There's nobody that can do what you can do like you can do it, when you can do it, and how you can do it. God created you with a unique DNA, and just because you're not doing what they're doing doesn't mean that you're any less. I'm here to, to preach the, the spirit of comparison out of this place that is telling you, you, you need to work more. You need to do more. You need to be better. You need No, do what you can do. Do it with excellence, and let God work in our lives. What it, could it be that we're so worried about everyone else that we're exhausted mentally? We're overwhelmed because we're constantly looking. Let's focus on what we have. The third thing is this. Ruminating and self-talk. Ruminating and self-talk can get us into a dark place. We didn't read the scripture, but we will on Wednesday. Elijah tells God, I'm the only one left. He's throwing himself a pity party. I'm the only one left when in fact he wasn't. There were others, but that's what he's telling himself. Could it be that we're telling our, ourselves something that's not factual? Could it be that we're telling ourselves something that's not true? Could it be that we're just always lamenting and always sad when God, when, when his word tells us that the, that the joy of the Lord is my strength? Could it be that I'm telling myself that I'm nobody, but, but yet the Bible tells me that I'm created in his image? 
Could it be that I'm telling myself all these things that are not true and because I'm speaking to myself, it is causing me to be in a place that I shouldn't be. It's what chewing the cud means. You take something, you chew it, you swallow it, comes back up, you chew it some more, swallow it. It's just not what we're intended to do. That's why Paul says it this way. He says, that's why I have to take every thought. I have to take every thought captive and make it. I have, that's what Paul's saying, I have to make it obedient to Christ. I have to take that thought. Nope, that doesn't line up with what God says. It doesn't line up with what God's word says about me. I got to stop feeding myself that poison that I can never serve. I can never, ne- never do anything for God's kingdom because of who I used to be, because of what I've done, because of the things I've been tangled up with. You, got to, you have to let God work in your lives and, and get involved. You have to let God work in your lives. I came across this, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. That's research. That 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. What are you telling yourself? Philippians 4, 8 through 9 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's, That's the filter that I have to use on my mind. That's the filter that we need to use on our minds as people of God. Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. The fourth thing is this, the inability. How do we get there? How do we get into this place, the inability to process pain in a healthy way. So in other words, we're processing it in an unhealthy way. I have to remember that there is purpose in my pain. I have to remember that his word says that he works all things together for good for them that love him, that are called according to his purpose. It doesn't just say the things that we smile about, but it says all things. So I have to know that there's purpose in my pain because we all wish we didn't have problems. We all wish that we didn't have heartache. We all wish that we didn't have disappointment. But Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. The book of Job says that life's man is short and full of trouble. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And as I have overcome, you will also. But I want to tell you, we all in this place will experience pain. We will all experience heartache. We will all experience disappointment. But the question is this, what do we do when that happens? What do we do when that happens? Is it binge watching Netflix? Or Hulu? Is it binge eating? Is it video games? Those things, can I tell you, those things will not help us, but let's let our suffering help someone else. 
2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 6 tells us this, that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I'm going to let my pain, I'm going to let somebody know Jesus because of what I'm going through. It's not that I chose it. It's not that I wanted it. It's not that you want it. But you know what? If it happens, I'm going to let God be glorified in it. I'm going to let God be glorified through my hurt, through my disappointment, that if somebody can know Jesus through something that I have to go through anyway, then let God's name be praised in my life. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so shall, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and for your salvation. Your life experience doesn't disqualify you. Your life experience doesn't create a barrier between you and God. No, it qualifies you to help someone who's going through the same thing. It lets you be in a position that when you down the road face someone that's going through what you've been through, that you can say, let me tell you, I was there and it wasn't fun. I cried so much, but let me tell you, God saw me through it. And I believe that if God saw me through it, I'm not better than you. And that God will see you through as well. That our hurt and that our pain, that in all of it, God would be lifted up. There is purpose in my pain. But it is about learning how to process it in a healthy way. Worship team, will you join me, please? I'm almost done. Number five is isolation and loneliness. Let me tell you this, that the first problem in the Bible was not sin. The first problem in the Bible was not sin. It was solitude. It was loneliness. That was the first thing that went wrong. Because God said in Genesis 2.18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to distance ourselves and to live on an island. Can I tell you, we need community. That's why, that's why we push small groups. That's why we tell you, come to man up. That's why we tell you to come to sisterhood. That's why as summer comes and we have family night, just come. You don't need, you don't need just come and be a part of it. We, we belong here. I wasn't created to go through life on my own, and you weren't either. We belong and we need each other. What does the Bible tell us? Elijah left his servant there. He left his servant there. He had company. He had somebody there with him, but he left his servant there. Can I tell you that we're better together? He shouldn't have left his servant. I get it. There's times that we need to be alone. There's times, yeah, absolutely. But the activities and the functions that we have here at church are not all the time. And, and you need to be here. It's good for you. It's good for you. It's not about me. It's about we. It's not about me, it's about we. And I applaud you today for being here because we need to worship together. We need to be together because we're better together. Romans 12, 5 says this, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. 
and each of us needs all the others. You belong here. You belong here. Whatever part of the body you are, we need you. My hand can't do what I need it to do if my arm and if my shoulder are not functioning properly. Did you catch that? That my hand cannot do what it needs to do if my arm and if my shoulder are not functioning properly. That we need each other. We need each other. And the final thing is this. What can get us into the cave? It's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Because I'll put it this way. You are not an earthly being having a temporary spiritual experience. You are not. You are a spirit being having a temporary earthly experience. One day, one glad morning, when this life is over and that trumpet sounds, can I tell you that your spirit man can have an impact on every area of your life. And it is important to know this, that we have a real enemy and I tell you this because I love you, because he's coming after us. We have a real enemy. Paul says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every imagination and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. First Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, be controlled, self-controlled and alert. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I tell you this so you can be vigilant and be, be aware of your surroundings that he's, he wants nothing more than to destroy you and I. But look what he says. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. I love what the Bible says that resist the devil and he will flee. But sometimes it's just about resisting and saying, you know what? Nope. Not going to have my family. Nope. You're not going to have my marriage. No, you're not going to have my mind. No, you're not going to have my children. No, I'm going to resist you. I'm just going to stay the course. I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to keep loving God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to resist the devil. And then when he comes back on Monday, nope, you're not having my family. I told you yesterday, you're not having my wife. You're not having my husband. You're not having my mind. You're not having my health. You're not having my family. Nope. When he comes back on Tuesday, nope. Didn't I talk to you? Over the last two days, the same God that helped me Sunday, the same God that helped me Monday is the same God that helps me on Tuesday. I'm going to just stay the course. I'm going to resist the devil and he will flee. It is written in his word. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in all the world. I have to know the God that I serve. (laughs) 
Paul said this, Ephesians 6, in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stay, that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When I think of schemes, my mind goes to the coach drawing and saying, they're the, the outside linebackers blitzing in from here. And this is what we have to do to stop him. This is what we, there, there is a plan that is devised from our enemy directly to ours. But I'm grateful that when the enemy comes in like a flood, his word says this, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for, for a God that reminds me in his word that there is no weapon. Hallelujah. There is no weapon that is formed against me that will prosper. It is designed, it is uniquely designed to, to destroy us, but it will not prosper. God has given us the authority, but we have to use it. God has given us the authority, but we have to use it. Father, right now, I thank you. Thank you for your word that comes to find us. You know what's going on on the inside, God. You know what I'm facing. You know what keeps me up at night. You know my loneliness and you know my frustration. You know the dark season that I have been in. You know the trouble that I'm facing. It's real. But I thank you for loving me enough to remind me this morning that you're with me even in the dark moments. Thank you for your word that reminds me today that I'm never alone. So, Father, right now I speak life. Father, I speak peace. I speak healing. I speak wholeness. I speak, I speak tranquility. I speak stillness into every life right now. That your presence right now would just encourage everyone that needs to be encouraged. That, that this is just a season in life and that this is just a moment that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Again, Lord, I speak your very best right now over every circumstance, over every heart, over every mind, over every spirit, God, that is wherever we find ourselves, God, that you would find us right there, that you would build us up, that you would encourage us, that you would restore, God, that you would do an incredible work, that your name would be lifted up in our lives in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's some of you in this place that need to receive the forgiveness of God. 
You're carrying your shame and you're carrying your pain. You feel it. The Lord has his arms open wide and he invites you. He says, you're tired. He says, come to me if you're heavy burden, if you're laden and I'll give you rest. He says, I'll take it. I'll take your pain. I'll take the spirit of heaviness and give you a cloak of praise. He said, I'm happy to take it from you right now. He stands at the door and he knocks. He says, if any man would hear my voice, would open the door. All you have to do is open the door. That's you today. If you say, Lord, I need your forgiveness right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to invite you to raise your hand right where you're at. Just as a sign, saying of, a sign of surrender and saying, God, I'm tired of trying to do things my own way. I want you to be Lord of my life right now. God sees you. God sees you're at. Why don't you say this prayer with me? Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. I surrender my life completely to you. Thank you for setting me free. I believe you're the son of God. Be the Lord of my life. Let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God praise for everyone that accepted? Could we stand to our feet? And